0: Good morning. It's good to be with you again here at Boulevard Bible Chapel. Good to see the children. Good to hear the children see them. And um, I brought some books with me, and I'll just mention a few words about them. We have a a brother who um, in our assembly who puts together children's books. This is one of them. It's called Little Winston's Desire. So if you're looking for a very nice children's book, very nicely illustrated, and about spiritual gifts. And uh, if you're interested in that, I've got a couple of copies of that. And that's on the back table uh, in the auditorium there. And uh, there's some other books there as well. The smaller books and newsletters are free, uh, the larger ones are for sale. This, called, this uh, children's book is $7. Uh, this is for free too, if you're interested. My son Alan, some of you know Alan, he wrote a little book. A little booklet called The Young Man's Assembly Survival Guide. So how to survive, young man, how do you survive and, uh, as a survival guide in the assembly. it's the things in here for a young person of how to begin uh, participating at the Lord's Supper, how to serve the Lord in your assembly. Um, a number of different things. There's also a chapter in here on girls for guys only. Uh, but anyway, uh, If you're interested, there are some copies on the back table. Feel free to take a look at some of that. Let's take our Bibles and turn to um, Luke chapter 8. We want to think about the parable of the soils. And I want to say at the outset, this is one of the most important, I think, parables in the Bible. There are 35 parables in the Bible, in the New Testament. Uh, 35 parables of the Lord Jesus, and most of them start by saying, and the Lord sent unto them a parable. Or sometimes the Lord begins and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, or he makes a comparison. But in this, uh, in this particular um, account, he says it's a parable. And so we wanna think about this passage together. But before that, I wanna mention, I wanna share a few stories with you Number one, about uh, about three weeks ago, I went to a graduation party. It's uh, early June. It's graduation uh, party time, and an old friend, their daughter, who we've known since she was born, she graduated high school, and so uh, we had a little party together. It was in Pennsylvania, and they asked me to share a few words. And I began. I did that, and then I sat down next to uh, next to a man about 40 years old. We started talking together. His name's Richie, and. Um, I said, how are you saved? Told me he was a Christian, worked at camp work in that area. He said, how are you saved? And he said, I was, I was a cocaine addict from the time I was 14 years old. He had a nice family. was married. He said, I was a cocaine addict. He said, people didn't know it. He said, but I took cocaine every single day. I sold it. I took it. He said, um, I sold in New York City where he lived. And... uh he said when he was married he didn't tell his wife that he was a cocaine addict. She didn't know for a while. But he decided he needed a real job to cover his selling of cocaine. And he worked as an orderly in a hospital. A guy that he worked with was a Christian. And every day this man would witness to him. And um, he would laugh it off. He thought he was a crazy kind of a Christian. But one day they got together for a picnic and his wife was there. And this crazy Christian began to talk to his wife about the gospel. And she was a little bit interested. And he gave her a tract. This Christian, man who worked in the hospital with her husband, gave her a tract. And she took it home and she put it in a book or somewhere. And Richie went began to read it. And he read it over and over again. Just a simple tract that you may have and give out many, many times. A simple gospel tract. He began to read it and read it. And he understood the gospel. And he went back to his friend and he said, what is this all about? What are you trying to get out of it? Are you trying to get money from me? Are you trying to get me to do things for you? What is, what is this all about? And he said, just about salvation just about the Lord Jesus Christ going to the cross, laying down his life, and transforming, as we come to faith, changing our lives. And that night, Richie uh, Benitez trusted Christ as a Savior. Now, I tell you that story just as to, to say the word of God, the seed of the word of God, the gospel, is very, very powerful. It's life-changing, life-changing. We have a young young guy in our assembly, he's only about 14, got, got baptized recently, and uh, I love what he said when he was baptized. We baptize folks, we don't have an official church like you have here, maybe you have a baptismal up here, I'm not sure, but we do it in a pool, we do it outside in the backyard in one of the believers' pools, and um, and it was pouring rain, and uh, it just happened to be raining, and. But we still baptized, and he was there, and I said to him, I said, Simon, I said, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior? Now, most kids say, yes. He said, I believe in the Lord Jesus absolutely 100%. I thought that was pretty good. Well, he was going through some tough times. His father had died some time ago, he comes from Vietnam. He's only been in this country a short period of time. His mother's a Buddhist. His grandmother's a Buddhist. Yet he came to Christ. But he was having a hard time. He was going to go to public school, high school this year. And I said to him, I said, I said Simon, do you want to go to Camp Horizon? I said, um, he said, yeah. I said, we'll pay for it. Our travel will pay for it. He was going through a tough time, and he wasn't talking to anyone at the chapel. He would sit by himself in a row and wouldn't talk to anybody. He was moody and depressed. I guess you could say depressed. And we would try to talk to him, you know, we'd try to bring him some, a cookie during break, <laughs> during break time and some juice, but very little. But I said to him, I said, Simon, if you want to go to camp, we'll pay for it. You can go, we'll drive you up. We'll get you there, we'll bring you back. He said, okay. I, was it. I said, just here's the paper. All you have to do is fill it out. If you have an insurance card, photocopy it, and we'll take care of the rest. So he, next week, he brought in his papers. Still not talking to anybody, hardly. And um, went up to camp. Came back last Sunday. Varsity one, I think, last Sunday or two Sundays ago. He was changed. He was totally change. He was talking to people, brought his brother out to chapel, and uh, totally changed. I went up to him. I said, Simon, I said, if you want to go to camp again, varsity too, I said, we'll pay for it again. Do you want to go? He said, absolutely. So that's where he's going today. But I just say to tell you that story because I think the word of God, again, changes lives, young people's lives. I think he was saved to start with, but he was going through a tough time. I don't know what it was all about. He wouldn't open up and talk about it, but the Lord, through the Word of God, changed his life. began to change his life as a believer, and so we want to think about that this morning with you. Look with me at Luke chapter 8, I want to read together about this parable of the soils and the seed, how the seed is life-changing, life-transforming when we place faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus. Look with me. Luke chapter eight and verse four. There were many people who were gathered together and come to him out of every city. And he spoke to them by a parable. And the sower went forth to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside and was trodden down and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock. And as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Some fell among thorns, and it choked and sprang up with it. And the the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. Verse 8, And others fell on good ground and sprang up, and bore fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might the parable mean? And he said unto them, Unto you is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God and others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. I just want to mention one simple thing about those words. What does that mean? Seeing they might not see. Hearing they might not understand. You know, in biblical things, or in everyday things in the world, we say seeing is believing, right? Seeing is believing. That's a concept that many people believe. But in biblically, it's the other way around. Seeing, just by seeing, you don't understand. And just by hearing, you don't understand. These were the Pharisees who thought they were knowledgeable. They were hearing and seeing, but they couldn't understand spiritual things. How do we understand spiritual things? How do we see spiritually? How do we hear spiritually? Well, biblically, it's believing is seeing biblically believing is hearing just for a second turn with me over to John chapter 11 this is the teaching of the lord jesus in John chapter 11 and he's rebuking the pharisees he's saying you try to see and you're trying to hear you'll never hear you'll never understand because you don't believe the way to seeing is believing the way to hearing is believing Luke chapter Luke chapter 11, I'm going to say John chapter 11, I'm sorry. This is the resurrection of Lazarus. And look at verse 40 with me. Jesus said unto her, I say to you that if you would believe, you should see. If you would believe, you will see the glory of God in the resurrection of Lazarus. Now many saw the resurrection of Lazarus, but not many saw the glory of God. But those who believed on the Lord Jesus first, they would see. Those who believed on the Lord Jesus would hear, would hear spiritually, would hear and see spiritually. But believing is first. I say to you, if you believe, you should see the glory of God. That's what failed to happen. Here in Luke chapter 8, Pharisees came and they thought they could see and they thought they heard, they thought they knew all about spiritual things, yet they believed not in the Lord Jesus. He said, you cannot see and you cannot hear. Down a little bit further in verse 11, the Lord gives the interpretation of the parable. And he says in verse 11, the seed is the word of God. I want to say to you this morning, that is the most powerful tool that we have. One of the things I love about um, I'll call, I'll say Bible chapels, about New Testament assemblies, is that we stand strong on the Word of God. We memorize it, we share it, we sing about it, we talk about it, we study it, we learn about it, we read about it, we read books about it. It is the foundation it is front and center, it is the object. And the Lord Jesus, of course, but is the object that we learn about the Lord Jesus in it. We have our vacation Bible schools. We have our Bible camps. And we have other fun times and good times. But everything we do, whether Bible camp or vacation Bible school, is all founded in teaching more about the Word of God. Greatest and most powerful tool in reaching unsaved people for the Lord Jesus Christ. Wonderful tool. We have a neighbor that just moved next door, next door to us about well, a year now, and she's from the Philippines, married her husband who's from Haiti. You know, we live in an international world. Across the street, we have a Mexican family, and down the road, I don't know what, we, we have an international street, and maybe that's where you live too, just the same way. Well, he'd never met her before, uh, going to Philippines. A friend told a friend about her, and they correspondent on the internet. He went to the Philippines. They had a wedding ceremony. She never set foot in the United States until she was married to Fonzie. That's his name, Fonzie. Just like the TV character from Happy Days. And her name's Christina. He works two jobs. They just bought the house next to us. And she's home alone a lot. So we went over and started talking to her And uh, she was Roman Catholic, and she wasn't too, she was a little scared of us, these Christian people and what are they all about. And we tried to invite her for coffee. We tried to invite both of them for coffee and just dessert, and they were a little bit leery of us. But after a little while, my wife went over and started talking to her and said she would come over. And we were going to have a ladies' Bible conference. We had Jan Johnson, Jeff Johnson's wife, Jan Johnson to do an all-day Saturday ladies' Bible conference. And so we invited her to come. You know, that's not the best, probably the best thing to invite an unsaved person to an all-day ladies Bible conference. But we did that. And she came. And you know what? There were some Filipino ladies from St. Petersburg and downtown Tampa. There were about seven of them. And she started talking to different ones at this conference. We were there. The men were there helping with the meal. So I saw a little bit. You would have thought she was the main, one of the main ladies of our chapel because she talked to everyone that was there. You talked to this person, the Filipino ladies, uh, and she heard about the Book of Ruth for three sessions. And afterwards, she came to faith and she said, you know, this would be great to do this every week. And she said, well, you know, we could do this every week. We could have a Bible study every week. And she said, that would be good. No Bible. So we gave her a Bible. Came back the next week, you know, sometimes we go, And we uh, can go to the Bible bookstore and buy those little tabs. Well, she made her own tabs out of whatever, scotch tape and something. Well, every book of the Bible was tabbed. Uh, And she came back. She said, I had to do this to find out what books of the Bible they were. So they would study the Bible together, sometimes for three hours every Monday morning. She has a friend next door who's the Mexican lady. And she told her that they're in Bible study invited her to come to the Bible. So so now we have a Filipino and a Mexican lady coming to faith who is leading this Bible study. She's not saved. Esmeralda and Christina are not saved, but the Word of God is speaking through their lives. And I am so sure that she will be saved very, very soon. Word of God is working. She said to me this past Monday, after they're finished with their Bible study, I come over, if I have time and we have prayer together. And uh, I told her, I said, you know, one of the best things, she's pregnant, having her first child. I said, one of the best things is to start your life as a, as a married couple, as a family, with the Lord Jesus in the center of your lives. Best thing you can do. And then she told me, she said, you know, after every Bible study we have, I go back at night before we go to sleep and I tell Fonzie everything that we study Everything I learn, I write it all down, and I tell him all about it. Well, the 4th of July, this is a long story, the 4th of July we had Fonzie over. Also, first time he ever came to our house. He came, another new couple for the chapel, another couple, the, the man who wrote that children's book and his family, had a whole bunch, 17 people over to our house, and they stayed the entire time. The last people to leave was Fonzie and Christina. We're able to talk, share with them. I simply say all of that to say the word of God is the seed, the most powerful tool we have in evangelism. And as we share the word of God, it, it's life-changing. It convicts of sin. It points to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here in this verse, verse 11, the, the seed is the word of God. Verse 12, Those by the wayside, as the Lord interprets this passage, he interprets the parable he just gave. What does it mean that the seed is sown on rocky ground? Wayside soil. uh, On thorny ground. But he begins to interpret and begins to explain what does it mean that the seed is cast on the wayside soil, the hard, packed down soil. The wayside soil is soil and pathway soil along the side of a farmer's field where many people would travel. Animals and and farmers and others that would travel by travelers would walk alongside of the fields. And it's a hard-packed down soil. And the Lord says those by the wayside, these are individuals, this hard-packed soil are individuals. And they are those, it says, that here. Then comes the devil and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are those that hear hear the word with joy, but have no root. And while they believe, a time of testing comes, and they fall away. Those by the thorns, he goes on to say in verse 14, or those who have heard, heard the word of God again. But the word of God is choked out in their lives, because of the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life. But those on the good ground, are they with an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with, King James says, patience or endurance. But I want to spend time with you looking at verse 12. We only have time this morning to look at verse 12. How can we reach the hard-to-reach person? Here is the hard-packed-down soil, the wayside soil. Animals would walk upon it. Travelers would walk upon it. Those who work the fields would would walk along the wayside soil, hard-packed-down. The seed is cast on the hardest of soils. We'll just back up for a second. Here, the Lord is the sower. We could agree on that. You know, it's very interesting. The Lord casts seed on all the different kinds of soil. The Lord casts the gospel seed on the hardest to reach people. Are there people that you see in your life experience, maybe it's your relatives, maybe it's your husband, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your father or mother, or maybe it's someone you know, a neighbor, and you say that is a very hard person to reach, and you hold back because you think they'll never get saved. Never, never, ever get saved. Well, first of all, you don't know that. Second of all, it's interesting here that the Lord casts seed on all different kinds of soil. Those who are wrapped up in the cares and the riches and the the things of this life, who you think will never be interested in the gospel, the Lord Jesus casts seed on the thorny ground. He casts seed on the rocky ground. And he casts seed on the good soil. Now, the Lord knows all the different kinds of soil. The Lord knows exactly who's going to get saved and who's not going to get saved. But the Lord casts seed on all the different kinds of soil. I think a great lesson for us. Do you do that? Do, do I do that? Do I cast seed on all the different kinds of soil? The Lord Jesus had success on one kind of soil, the good soil. 25% of the people, the Lord Jesus, in this parable at least, ministered to, were saved. The Lord Jesus ministered to many, many, many people. Many made professions, false professions. Maybe followed for a while and went back. Many turned away from the Lord Jesus, but he still kept on casting the seed and preaching the gospel. He said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those which are lost. And that is our responsibility, isn't it? We don't know who else is going to get saved or not. I have a neighbor, a wife got saved. Her husband was an alcoholic. And they had difficulties. And she said to me, she said, he'll never get saved. It took a long time, but he did get saved. And he was baptized the same baptism. His son was baptized, a 13-year-old son. You know, it was one of the most beautiful baptisms that I've ever been at. We prayed a long time for him. We had Bible study after Bible study with him. He was hard to reach, but he did get saved. A couple of things we learn about the hard-to-reach person. Verse 12. We think sometimes that the hard-to-reach person is miles and miles so far from the Lord, he would never, ever get saved. But the Lord shows us something very interesting. Look at verse 12 with me. Those by the wayside soil, those the hard, the hardest-to-reach person, those by the wayside, the seed is cast on that kind of soil in that person. And it says in verse 12, they are those that hear. They listen to the gospel. They listen to the seed, the word of God being preached to them. That's very encouraging to me. I'm not sure about you. Very encouraging. The hardest to reach person, they listen. Sometimes you think they're not listening at all. Richie Benitez, they thought he wasn't listening at all. He would never read a gospel tract, but he did read. He did listen. Our neighbor, who is hard to reach, did listen. Then it says something else in verse 12. And the word has lodging in their hearts. Isn't that wonderful? The word of God is in their hearts. Look at verse 12. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and takes the word out of their hearts. The word had lodging in their hearts and they heard. And the hardest to reach person would be saved. It says that in this verse. Would be saved. The devil comes, takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. If you're here this, this morning and don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the great truths we find from this verse is the devil doesn't want you to be saved. He's fighting and working and doing everything possible. Before I was saved, I know the devil was working, working very hard. He doesn't want one single person saved. doesn't want a child saved, doesn't want a teenager saved. He would love to shut down every Bible camp in North America he would to shut down every church that preaches the Bible in North America and throughout the world. Not to stop missionaries and Bible teachers and Sunday school teachers from sharing the gospel and the word of God. He wants to stop that. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, don't let Satan shut your heart. Don't let Satan make that decision for you. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ. You think sometimes, I'm thinking for myself, but the devil is working very hard to change your will, change your decision, turn you from faith, turn you from salvation, turn you from eternal life. Turn with me for a moment to Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. We have the account there of Abraham, Abram going to Sodom or going to rescue his, his nephew Lot and all those inhabitants of Sodom and the king of Sodom who were taken captive by the four kings of the plain and taken far to the north. And Abraham, Abram marshals. 318 men in his estate. He was a wealthy man with a great number of servants. 318 men who were able to go, and they pursued all the way to the north to Dan, one of the furthermost cities in Israel, and rescued all of them. Rescued the king of Sodom, rescued Lot, rescued all the people of Sodom, and brought them back. And as you come to verse 21... king of Sodom comes to Abram and says to Abram, he says, you can have all the possessions, you can have all the wealth of Sodom, all the material wealth, all the things of Sodom. And I want to suggest in this passage, the king of Sodom is a picture of Satan. He's a, he's a ruler over a wicked and sinful domain. Most wicked city probably ever referenced in all the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, is Sodom and Gomorrah. He's the king of Sodom. But he's also the king over a defeated city. His city was defeated. He's a defeated king in this passage here. And Satan is a defeated king, but strong and able. The king of Sodom comes to Abram and says, You keep all the goods, keep all the wealth. Keep all the money. But give me one thing. What does he want? Give me one thing. He says in verse 21 Give me the persons, and you keep the goods. King of Sodom, Satan wants the people, he wants the persons. That's what he wants here in this passage in in Luke chapter 8 in the parable of the soils. I want the persons. I want the souls. You can have everything else. He's not that interested in money. He's not that interested in everything in this world. He simply has all of that to get the people, to get the persons. I walk through the mall sometimes or down to the beach or many places, and I see people sometimes full of tattoos. You may have tattoos. I don't know. (laughs) Full of piercings. T-shirts, and I say to myself, that's somebody that Satan has. I don't know for sure, but that's someone that Satan has influenced with the influence of this world, and he has that person. He doesn't have to keep that person. The gospel can reach that person. Verse 12, it says, Satan comes and takes the seed out of the heart. Turn with me to Mark's gospel, chapter 4. Mark's Gospel chapter 4. There are three parallel passages about the parable of the soils. It is the most thorough parable the Lord Jesus ever told. It's mentioned in three of the four Gospels. It has the most verses devoted to any parable in all the New Testament. And it's interesting as you compare the parallel accounts, you see more and more information about how Satan seeks to take away the seed that's sown in the heart. I want to say this at the outset. Satan cannot go into your heart when you hear the gospel somehow and take out the word of the gospel sown in the unbeliever's heart. He can't somehow in some supernatural spiritual way just snatch it out. can't do that. I want to say, and I think I'm I'm, I'm correct in this, that the heart of a believer in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ And divine things is sacred ground. You can't go in and take it out. But look what it says in Mark chapter 4 in verse 15. Parallel account to the same passage. And it says, they are by the wayside where the word is sown. And when they have heard, notice the language here, when they have heard, Satan comes immediately. And takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Interesting. How fast does Satan come? He comes immediately. That's powerful. I love what they do at Camp Horizon. Some of you send your kids there. I don't know how many actually have been there for a week. But when you speak there, I've spoken a number of times at youth, um, uh, youth two, youth camp different times. 11 to about 14 year old kids. Do you know what time the evening meeting begins? Well, it begins about quarter of nine. Nine, 8 45. They've been running all day long. They have been swimming and fishing and playing games. They are exhausted. We're exhausted too, but they are exhausted. But they're sitting, we sing. We don't, the message part does not begin until about, say, 20 after 9, 9 15, 20 after. If the preacher's long winded like myself, he goes till about quarter of 10. Quarter of 10. These are 11 to 14 year old kids. They're exhausted, but they're listening. What do they do? They hear the gospel. Camp Horizon, their goal, I think, is to get. A good, strong gospel message in the evening. They go where? Do they play a game? No. Do they go for a snack? No. Do they hang around, talk to their friends for 20 minutes? No. They go right to their cabin. Do they go to sleep in their cabin? No. They go right to their cabin and they have devotions for another whatever time, 20 minutes. It's 11 o'clock quarter of 11 o'clock at night let me ask you this question many kids come to faith at Camp Horizon every year do you know when most of them trust Christ as their Savior is it after the eloquent preacher that's invited Dave Bosworth and myself and someone else is it after they speak and they're so struck by the gospel they come right up to them and say, we want to get saved. No. No. They get saved in their cabin. Saved in their cabin with their counselor. Alan, my son, has been a counselor, and he said one time five kids were saved that night. One night, five kids. I can be at, I've probably been at camp, a youth camp probably four or five, six times, and not more than one or two kids have ever come to me. But five in one night as a counselor, I think there's something very good about that because we find here in this verse, after the seed is sown, Satan comes immediately. And those at Camp Horizon, and as you share the gospel, we're trying to counteract that. We're trying to reach that person with the gospel so Satan cannot take that seed out of their hearts. Turn with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 13, one last parallel account. How then, if Satan cannot take the seed out of their hearts, if it is indeed sacred ground, how does he do it? We read that he does do it, but how does he do it? He cannot go in and just snatch it out. If he could do that, he would do it every single time and no one would get saved. He and his demons know when the gospel is being preached throughout the world. He's not omnipresent But with him, him, with Satan and his demons, they're active internationally throughout the world. But look with me at verse 19. Chapter 13 of Matthew, verse 19. Again, the same account, the sower, the parable of the the soils, and especially the parable of the hard, packed-down, wayside soil. Verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then comes the wicked one and snatches and catches away that which is sown in the heart. That's the key. How does Satan take the seed out of the heart? He confuses, causes misinformation. He causes confusion and distraction and misunderstanding. He does everything he can to confuse the unbeliever. The unbeliever says, my mother was a Mormon, and my father was a Jehovah Witness, and my grandmother was something else, and I believe in evolution, and my school teaches this, and I saw Star Wars, and there's God doesn't exist after all, and I'm an atheist, and all kinds of other philosophies and thinking. Satan's a master confusing, distracting, getting the mind on something else when they understand not. But look down with me at verse 23. When time is finished, verse 23 says this: How does a person get saved? What is the good ground? What is essential? What is very important about the good ground? Verse 23, then, he that received the seed in the good ground is he that hears the word. Those who saved, we have to bring the word. You know how strong, I can emphasize that, but that's essential. We don't just tell stories, we just don't have drama presentations and movies and go bowling and ride go-karts and do whatever else, which is all fun and good, but ultimately we have to bring the word. He that received the word is a good ground, is he that hears the word and understands it, who also bears fruit and brings it forth a hundredfold, 1630. The hard ground didn't understand. Satan came and took out the seed. Satan confused and distracted and brought in misinformation. And the seed was nullified. The conviction of the word of God and the power of the word of God was nullified and weakened. But now on that good ground, that soul, that individual, understood it, believed it, trusted in it, had lodged it in his heart, and believed it and was saved. What a, great, what a great thing to happen in a person's life. I trust that everyone here knows Christ as their Savior. There's a day in your life. Sometimes, somewhere that you sincerely believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as he went to the cross and made provision for our salvation. That you believe that. And you decide to follow the Lord Jesus and there was a transformation in your life. There are some people who have raised their hands. Some people have gone to camp. But there's never been a sincere, heartfelt, true belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of false conversions. A lot of professions. I made a lot of professions in my life. Went to a lot of Bible camps. Went to Word of Life a number of times. I went to Jack Wurtzing Youth Rallies many times. I raised my hand a number of times. A lot of false professions. Those who trust the Lord Jesus with conviction and say yes to the Lord Jesus and believe on him. He transforms our life, takes our sins. We're a new people in Christ. We're a new creation. And the Lord does a wonderful work in our lives. I trust that's true in your life. And as you pray for others and you share the gospel with others, I trust that's true in their lives. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our God and Father, we thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for each one in this room. Thank you for the Sunday school teachers, Father, in the other rooms, the young people. The work of this assembly, Father, we pray that you'll lead it and guide it and bless it. And so, Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name.